Hi, I'm Melissa and welcome to the Mummy Warriors podcast where we can normalise the conversation of motherhood and delve into issues that are quite often swept under the rug. Join me every single Tuesday for a brand new episode with a brand new topic. This is a mummy's club you want to be a part of. Hi and welcome to the Mummy Warriors podcast. I'm your host Melissa and today I'm joined by Megan who is a mother of twin girls and a stepmother of two boys who's also a social worker and a life coach who works with women and mothers who suffer from postpartum depression and anxiety and will be sharing her own personal story through postpartum depression and anxiety and how she now helps other women. Megan, welcome to the Mummy Warriors podcast. It's a pleasure having you here today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for joining us today. So I'm going to get started and ask you to let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and who you are. Sure. Yeah. So I am a mom of two-year-old twin girls. I'm also a stepmother to two teenage boys. I am a social worker by background, and I also have a private life coaching business as well. So I've been working in the mental health field for about nine years now, and just recently started my private life coaching business where I specialize with working with women and mothers Uh, some of whom I'm supporting in their postpartum journey as I connect with that experience very much so. Amazing. So what I want you to do is explain your own personal journey of going through PPD and PPA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my girls were born in 2019, October, so it's just at the end of the year. And they came via emergency C-section. They were born at 35 weeks. And so just based on sort of the experience of their birth, it was quite traumatic for me. I wasn't expecting for them to come that day, but they did come. And then they had a a NICU stay after that. And so I didn't get to see them. I didn't know what they looked like and they were taken away from me. I didn't get to see them for about 24 hours after they were born. And so I started having symptoms, uh, probably the baby blues at first, where I was just, you know, crying a lot and having those types of symptoms after birth. And it really just spiraled from there, more so in, in, in the postpartum anxiety, where I became kind of hyper fixated on their feeding schedule, their changing schedule, you know, managing everything on my own, even though I had a very supportive partner at the time and my mom had actually come to stay with me, but I didn't want anyone dealing with them. Right. I, I was writing down everything. I had a lot of intrusive thoughts. And since that carried on for so long, I ended up having symptoms of postpartum depression as well. That is definitely relatable for a lot of women, especially like with myself, with just having a baby. I mean, I didn't go through the same sort of trauma, but just having the, when I had my son, the tears and the obsessiveness and refusing help. And mm-hmm. I've spoken to a lot of other mothers who had sort of the same thing. Back then, I didn't ever think that it was like postpartum or anything like that. And I definitely didn't want to admit to like not having them sort of emotions because then it'd be like, well, what's wrong with you? Like, oh, absolutely. Do you know? So you kind of just keep it, swallow it and and carry Mm -hmm. on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
prior to my girl's birth, I had never had any really like mental health issues. And so I had a lot of clinicians in my life saying like, this is fine. It's going to pass. This is just the baby blues. But as the weeks and the months went on and it wasn't getting better, in fact, it was getting worse. I knew that something was not right. And so I was actually actively asking for help, but continued to get dismissed when I went for my six week postpartum checkup, my OB was like, no, this is fine. You know, you have twins, it's overwhelming. But at that time I said, no, this, this is not right. Not coping. Um, But at that point, when you've been dismissed so many times, I just thought to myself, okay, like, I guess I just need to figure this out and deal with it on my own. And so that really heightened my anxiety because I was already hyper fixated on their feeding schedule. But now I felt like everyone was telling me that I wasn't in control. And so in order to gain some sense of control, I became even more almost OCD. Like anytime the girls were sleeping, I was cleaning or I was washing baseboards. And when people would come visit me on the outside, I looked like I was coping very well because I had makeup on and I had lost all the baby weight and my house was immaculate. But for me, I knew that those were all signs of actually not coping well. Right. And just a quick question. Did you feel like it, your postpartum was heightened when you took the babies home rather than when they were in hospital, like when you you actually had to emerge into your own routine? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was anxious in the hospital, but I did have the support from the nurses there while they were in the NICU. I felt like they didn't do a great job of trying to reduce my anxiety because they really drilled it into me. Like your babies are premature. You need to make sure they're gaining weight. You have to monitor their feeding schedule. And so that just made me even more anxious, which is why I was writing everything down. And I was so fixated on how many uh, ounces of milk they were having and how often they were feeding when in reality, looking back on it now, my mother intuition was just sort of saying like, it's okay. You know, if they don't want to eat now, they'll eat later and they'll let you know babies are so intuitive, but because of what the nursing staff had really drilled into me, that really got worse once I, once I got home and felt like I had no support. Right. And I, I must say as well with what you're saying resonates so much with me because, um, my baby had issues of weight. So I became fixated on his feeding Um, and it was it just brought more anxiety than I needed because Mm -hmm. I was fixated on him putting on weight Mm -hmm. Um, and not only that for me obviously I know that in the UK it's done like differently kind of but they as soon as I had my son they started drumming in the cot death we call it cot death I'm not sure if you guys call it something else it's like basically um infant sudden infant death basically oh yes yes right so during my pregnancy I didn't know anything about that it was just about staying pregnant and then Mm -hmm. as soon as I gave birth to my son they started drilling home SIDS and I was like oh my god like obsessing over you know so yeah oh absolutely they don't make it easy for us especially when it's no the journey's just beginning if it's your first time round, you know Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So another question I have to ask is what was the defining moment that made you realize that something was definitely wrong and you needed to look further into it? Yeah, I mean, I knew that something was wrong right in right in the hospital. I knew that this was more than just the baby blues and 
I was asking for help and telling the doctors, like, I am so anxious right now. And they kept dismissing me, but like the real turning point where I finally kind of chose to stop suffering was actually coming up on a year. So my girls were coming up on their first birthday. I had been dealing with anxiety and depression the whole year and actually postpartum rage too, which was very new to me. I'm a very calm person by nature. And when I reflected back on the year, I was just so heartbroken to have not a lot of joy in the year. And I felt like that year was stolen from me. I felt like all the expectations that I had for my maternity leave, which I was so excited about, I've always wanted to be a mother, mm-hmm. was nothing like I wanted it to be. And I just thought to myself, like, this has to stop. I can't continue my parenting journey with no joy and crying all the time and feeling like I'm not enough and I'm not doing enough and being angry. And so I, I felt strong enough again at that time to ask for help once again, but I was very selective about who I asked for help. I researched um, a therapist that specialized in postpartum depression and only worked with women because I had been dismissed so many times. I felt like, okay, if I go to somebody that actually specializes in this, they're not going to dismiss me. Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned that I think is so key as well with a lot of my listeners and a lot of people, they think that postpartum is only the few months of the baby being born. And Mm -hmm. I have said in another episode, this can go on for years. It it doesn't necessarily mean when they're just here, it can actually go on for years. And another thing that you mentioned that's a key point is the postpartum aggression. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's obviously, you know, that, you know, I myself as, by nature, a very calm person, um, very laid back, but just the littlest things in that moment, in that mind frame that can trigger you, um, obviously not to the kids, but just the situation itself can just set you Mm -hmm. off in tears or just feeling angry. Mm -hmm. And as I say to all of my guests, when they, I think asking for help is so courageous because it's not the easiest thing especially mm-hmm. when you're a mother so the fact that you was able to do that and recognize you know this I need help outside of myself it takes a lot of pride and courage to do so especially when it's concerning the kids you know because even, yeah. even like with a little issue now it's a little bit like do I ask someone or do I you know so yeah it's so hard to ask for help it really is and so thank you for saying that yeah and I think just in general being a mother there's kind of that judgmental community anyway um yeah. that I've experienced so mm-hmm. again asking for help um it just makes you apprehensive too, you know? Mm -hmm. On your journey to self-discovery, why was setting boundaries one of the things that was so important to you? Yeah, so I told you I'm a social worker, so I'm a natural helper by nature. And acts of service is like my love language. I love to do things for other people. I love to give and give and give, but it can also be my Achilles heel. You know, I, I give and give and give and I don't, prioritize taking care of myself. And not only was I navigating my motherhood journey, um, like having the girls, but I was also trying to navigate my relationship with my stepchildren. And so I felt like nothing had to change or I wanted nothing to change when really, you know, a lot of things need to change when you have a baby, you have to start kind of looking at what's really important 
and try to fit yourself into that schedule. And I was not doing that. I was not showering. I was not eating. I wouldn't even go to the bathroom sometimes. Like my bladder would literally be spasming because I couldn't stop what I was doing and just go to the washroom. And so I had to start saying no. And I had to really look at the reasons why I was saying yes. Because a lot of the times I was saying yes, and I didn't actually want to do those things, but I felt so guilty if I was to say no. Mm -hmm. And I had to practice that. I had to start saying no in ways that felt comfortable because Mm -hmm. it was going to feel really uncomfortable. And so I would say no in the kind of smallest way. And then kind of build myself up because if I was going to have any time for myself, if I was going to figure out who I was as a new mother, that meant that I was going to have to say no to some other people so that I could put myself back on the priority list. Yeah, definitely. And did that feel uncomfortable at first? It was so uncomfortable. So (laughs) I had to, I had to start scheduling it. So I would pick a day that I was committed to where I was going to actually leave the girls And at first, you know, I got to pick when that time felt most comfortable. So that time for me in the beginning was once they were in bed and I knew everything was dealt with, then I chose to go for a drive is what I started doing just to leave the house and get get away. Um, And it didn't feel good. I felt guilty. I felt worried. I had, again, intrusive thoughts like what if they roll over and my husband doesn't notice or what if they throw up and my husband and they suffocate like all those types of thoughts. Right. And. I would listen to music to help distract from those thoughts. And we have a, a highway that goes all around our city. It takes about 45 minutes to do. And once you get on the highway, you can't really get off. So it was <laughs> a good way for me to keep going and kind of push myself. And the more I did it, the easier it got, but it felt really uncomfortable at first. Yeah. And it's like actually a good way of thinking about it of um, gaining control because mm-hmm. number one, you can't leave the situation because you're on a highway. And number two, you've set your, as small as it may sound, you've set yourself time to basically drive and, you know, clear your head and sort of, you know, so I think that's a definitely a good thing. Um, Even though it was just driving, it's definitely a great way to gain control. And just on what you touched on earlier, I know that setting boundaries is just in day to day is one of the most difficult things to do. Mm -hmm. anyway but I also think it's a great point that you said it was so important for you to do in the beginning of your journey Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously as I said setting boundaries is something that's so important I feel too um, for yourself Mm -hmm. Um, another thing was what was the most pinnacle moment for you on your road to self-discovery? You know, I spent a lot of time talking about my birthing experience and I was told so many times that I should just be thankful that my girls were healthy. So anytime I kind of started to talk about my birthing experience, I know people meant well, but they would say, well, at least the girls are healthy, right? And of, of course I was thankful that my girls were healthy. But when you try to open up about something that was hard for you it can feel dismissive when people try to reframe it in that way and I didn't realize just how traumatic their birth was for me I didn't realize that I needed to process that that I really needed to grieve it and that there were so many emotions associated with their birth that I was just kind of pushing to the side. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go back and retell that story. And this is part of that for me. This is really healing for me to talk about it because we're allowed to 
have negative and positive emotions together. And once I came to that place of realizing that, that, you know, their birth wasn't all bad, but it also wasn't what I was expecting or what I wanted Mm -hmm. and that I was allowed to feel both. I started taking that same principle into lots of experiences in my life. And, you know, even when I think about my day at the end of the day, I used to have such a kind of a tone of, well, it either was good or bad. And now I can say like, yeah, they were hard parts and they were good parts. And I'm going to acknowledge both of them. Yeah. And I think, again, it's so clinical that you say that because not only are you going through the process of what you went through in terms of giving birth and that trauma, but you also have to kind of, in a way, grieve your expectation mm-hmm. because that's no, that was never the reality, but that's what you lived for. Or not just you, myself and other mothers as well. We all live for a reality that we put so much energy in. And then sometimes in a lot of cases, especially during this, it never turns out exactly exactly what your reality is. I mean, just touching on what you're you're saying, um, in terms of, you know, when people say, Oh, but you know, you had your girls are healthy and they came obviously at a good age. Mm-hmm. A, a gastration. This the same with me when I say like I didn't enjoy my pregnancy and I used to feel guilty about saying I didn't enjoy my pregnancy because I've always wanted to be a Mm mum, but I didn't enjoy my pregnancy and I'm not proud of saying it, but it's the truth. I didn't, I didn't have control. It was traumatic and quite frankly, I won't be going through that again, (laughs) but I'm thankful for what I, you know, my son, but it just Mm -hmm. wasn't what I built my whole life to think it was you know yeah and we what you had not... envisioned yeah exactly you know it, my examples were the films and it was nothing like that so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but it is what it is um explain what inspired you to want to help other mothers who have gone through something similar mm-hmm. yeah so you know I had the girls in October of 2019 and then the pandemic hit in in February. And so that community that I had built for myself was kind of taken away from me. And I don't have any family here in the city that I live in. So I was really relying on those friends to be my community, but with the restrictions, you know, I didn't have that. And I thought that I would be okay, because I've always been someone that can just like handle it. Mm -hmm. But when I started to realize how important connection was, for my own healing journey and how much I needed to be not just surrounded by moms, but surrounded by moms who were also twin moms, surrounded by moms that have had postpartum depression and anxiety. I just saw how how much of a lack of resources there was to really support people and how much shame and guilt was associated with having that journey. Because when you talk about it, and even through my own experience, people assume that because I had that, that I must not love my children or that Mm -hmm. I must've had, or that I must've had thoughts of hurting my children. And I, I never did. I was the opposite. Like I had thoughts of hurting myself, Mm -hmm. but I never had thoughts of hurting my children. And so when I started coaching, it just became so kind of serendipitous how the clients that I connected with the most were the ones that had had similar experiences as, as I had had. And it just felt so therapeutic to support them and to help them learn from some of the mistakes that I had made so that they didn't suffer for a year that they were starting to put these practices in place much, much earlier than I had. 
Yeah, and again, another point that you make is, I personally feel there's a misconception with going through the baby blues as like you want to hurt your baby or you want mm -hmm. that situation to no longer be there. It's mm -hmm. in my own experience and with speaking to other women, it's never necessarily about what the baby's doing. It's just about how we're feeling at mm -hmm. that time. And it's the same thing of like me, myself and you yourself thinking like, we're the problem, the, the baby's not the problem, we're the problem, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it really sometimes frustrates me when that misconception is brought up. I know that there are yeah. extreme cases mm -hmm. where women feel like that and obviously mm -hmm. no judgment to them, but obviously they're going through something a lot different, but it's not always the case that, you know, we want to hurt the kids or it's what, yeah. something, you know, to do yeah. with the kids. And that support for the mother just seems, in my experience, to really be lacking because lots of people, lots of nurses, doctors did ask me every time, do you have any thoughts of wanting to hurt your children? And I said, no, every time. But even when I told them, but I have thoughts of hurting myself, they like just kind of glazed over it. Right. It's like, it's like, I literally am telling you that I want to walk into traffic and you're not concerned about that. So right. then I again, felt like, okay, I just need to handle this, I guess. Yeah. And as well, what I've noticed and what I've said to my other guests is when you have a baby, rightfully so, but all the attention is on the baby mm -hmm. and this, you know, family, friends, everyone has this, the attention on the baby. So mm -hmm. not that for me, obviously, it's not like, oh my God, all the attention to the baby. I want that, but that it's okay. There's his well-being and his concern, but at this moment, there's me too, mm -hmm. who obviously it's not just having a baby and then okay. No, we don't go back to our normal life. They're dependent on us because mm -hmm. they've been growing inside us for how long? So, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What was, what is your most effective method for helping these women who are on the start of their journey of seeking help? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really provide them a space to, to talk about their journey with like complete, you know, guilt-free zone. And when we start to implement self-care, I feel like self-care looks like this grand idea where we're thinking about going to the spa or going for massages, but mothers aren't typically not even meeting their basic needs. Like we're not showering, eating, getting outside. Right. And so when I start working with women, I ask them like, okay, so what, what day and what time are you going to do those things for yourself? Because if you don't make a commitment and a schedule, for yourself on that list of to do things, it's, you're not going to do it, or you're going to wait until you feel like you have the time to do it. But I'm telling you that it needs to be done before you start pouring into other people. And so really working with them to make sure like they're having the shower, they're eating before they're tending to their children. They're making sure that they're in a state where they can give to their children and it's not filled with resentment and anger and frustration because their needs have been met. And we, just tend to do things so backwards, right? Naturally, we want to take care of our kids and make sure everyone's okay. But then again, when does that mean that we have time for ourselves? Exactly. And one thing I've said a million times over, when my son was about two years old, I began to wake up at 5am for my time. Mm -hmm. Because I just needed, I realized getting up at the same time, same or similar time, 
I didn't have time for myself. And as we all know, the pandemic and then being with the kids 24 seven, it was just too mm-hmm. much. And it's only now being on a platform that I'm on. I I see mothers posting like being real, like this is hard. Like you don't want to be around your kids 24 seven. Like we need a break. So yeah, so I definitely agree with the point of making time for yourself. So my time was 5 a.m. is 5 a.m. And I've been doing that for about three years now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it definitely mentally was very beneficial for me mm-hmm. it's still very beneficial for me even though he's a lot older now mm-hmm. um have you noticed a similar pattern among the, your clients and if so what are the similar patterns that you have noticed mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I have you know I think that society does a really good job of putting unrealistic expectations on mothers, but we ourselves do a really good job of placing those expectations on ourselves. Like when I have conversations with, with my clients around, well, who's expecting you to do that? Like who's expecting you to clean the house and, and make a five-star meal? Like, you know, is it your partner? And they're like, no, no, no. And it's all, it's kind of them. It's coming from their own lived experience or maybe their upbringing around how they think they should be functioning as a mother. But then I just challenge them to say like, but who do you want to be as a mother? Do you want to be doing those things? Because if your partner's not putting that pressure on you and your friends and your family are, then you're putting it on yourself which is both good and bad, because that means that you have the power to change it. You have the power to decide what kind of life you want to create for yourself. And if this isn't working for you, then let's talk about what you actually want to do. Right, exactly. And I've mentioned again before, because when I first became a mother, there was no one in my friendship group or family group who had a, was going through this. So their kids are quite older. And I'm an only child anyway, so it's not like I had siblings to lean on. Mm-hmm. Nice. I began to have like a passion about like YouTube moms and mom vlogs and stuff. And that was really unhealthy for me because I was like, well, I, I can't, I don't, I don't have time for all of this. Because yeah. yeah. I'm a working mom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's only since joining this community of women who are being honest and raw, it's like, well, no, we all don't have time for that. Not all of yeah. us have nannies, not all of us have cleaners, not all of us have this external help that can make everything look perfect and not everything mm-hmm. does always look perfect. Mm-hmm. I always say, like, we generally, most of us only post the good times on Instagram. That's right. So, yeah. And social media. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's very rare we post the, the meltdowns and yeah. the whatsoever. Um, so lastly, what I want you to do is to tell our listeners exactly where they can find you or where they can reach out to you if they want to get some advice or some help on this sort of topic. Yeah, absolutely. So they can reach out to me through my website, MeganMcLarenCoaching.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Megan McLaren Coaching, or on Instagram. You know, Instagram is where I really love to spend a lot of my time because that's where I keep it real. So that's where you're going to see me um, talking about feeding my kids, you know, cereal for dinner and talking about my house not being perfect or talking about me hiring help because that's what works for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't have shame or guilt around that. And mm-hmm. we need more of that. We need more people not posting, you know, the picture perfect family photos and all those things because that's how we create connection and create community. So you'll find me there keeping it real. 
Perfect. And can I just also make a side note that breakfast for dinner is one of the best dinners ever. Right? I feel, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite as well. So what I do want to say is thank you so much for joining today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and just being so open and raw. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for taking Absolutely. the time and being here. Thank and you so much for having apologies me. Apologies for the oh, no, no. You're probably here my <laughs> too. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening in to this week's episode. Feel free to leave a comment, like, and share this episode. If you want a chance to be a guest on the show, all you have to do is send me a DM on my Instagram, which is at the Mummy Warriors. See you next week.